Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Prospect Podcast. I'm Tom Clark and this week, instead of wheeling in big brains from outside as usual, I thought we'd gather the brains we've got lying around the Prospect office and see where we all think we stand in relation to the Brexit election. Or is it? What policies will swing, which seats are in danger, and if prediction is a fool's game, then let us be fools. What new government are we actually likely to wake up with on the 13th of December? I'm joined by Steve Bloomfield. Hello. Stephanie Boland. Hello. And Alex Dean. Hello. To start things off, Alex, our uh, professional Brexit watcher, um, I think you had a look at some numbers on whether this slogan that I can read on the TV screen behind me, the Brexit election, um, whether that's borne out by what the public think they're voting on or not. Yes, I've seen polling um, saying that 40% of people see this election uh, as being predominantly about Brexit, and that's going to be the number one determinant of how they cast their votes. Um, that's actually a lot, lot more than what it was in 2017, which was kind of the Brexit election that never was. Um, of course, 40% in on that side means that 60% aren't going <laughs> to use Brexit as their number one determinant. Um, but I think the really interesting thing is whether is is not so much looking at the numbers, but is looking at the cohorts that might shift according to Brexit and what that might mean for the eventual result. So even if it's you know not a huge number in terms of the entire population of the electorate who are voting for the Lib Dems because of their stance on Brexit, that could clearly swing certain marginal seats away from, for example, the Tories towards the Lib Dems and be the end thing that deprives the Tories of an overall majority. So actually, I do think this will be the Brexit election, not just because of how many people are casting their votes in that way, but because of how much Brexit could end up determining the result at the end of all of it. But Steph, if is it not all baked in now in a way? It wasn't in 2017. So that people might say, yeah, yeah, I'm voting on Brexit. But if you're, for example, a strong Brexiteer, you might already have sorted into the Conservative category, likewise maybe into the Lib Dems if you're a strong Remainer. So is the campaign going to be a Brexit campaign, even if it is in the end going to be, as Alex suggests, a Brexit election? I mean, I think some of it is baked in, but things have shifted a lot since 2017, um, not just because we've found that Remain and Leave have become more polarised positions and polling shows that people who voted Remain in 2016 tend to 
be even more strongly remain and vice versa. Um, but also because the party positions or the public sense of those positions has shifted. So if you were somebody who was sceptical about Theresa May's Brexit credentials, you might feel a little bit more confident about Boris Johnson's. Um, similarly, if you were somebody who was a bit unsure about Jeremy Corbyn's triangulation around Brexit, you may now find yourself with a Labour Brexit policy you can get behind if you're a little bit on the fence. So I think we'll find some movement. I think we'll find a lot of um, MPs from out with the two main parties taking seats, but some of the shifts um, won't be as shocking as I think we imagine. I think it's unlikely to be a Brexit election in the way that um, it's being set up partly because we know what every party's Brexit position is. And election campaigns are about what's announced today, what's on the grid today, what what's the big mm. story. And so actually, you know, there'll be days where the Labour Party announces an education policy, the next day where the Tories announce a crime policy, and the day after the Lib Dems announce their health policy. And Brexit isn't going to get a look in there. Um, so I think most of the coverage and most of the way that we talk about this election is going to be about other policies. Where Brexit might come in is in the other thing that elections are about, which is gaffes and things going wrong and disagreements within parties. And I think if you get, for example, a swathe of Tory MPs who say, um, I'm not going to back Boris Johnson's deal, I'm going to back no deal as a way of trying to ensure that the Brexit party doesn't stand against them. Or if you get stories of uh, Labour candidates saying, um, I'm definitely going to vote Remain uh, if and when we have a, another referendum and some saying I'm going to vote Leave, then that becomes a bit of a process story and, it, and Brexit comes into it in that way. But I think in terms of you know wh what it comes down to with people voting, my suspicion is that people are more likely to be voting based on the normal things that they vote about. And do you not think it might be a bit different from 2017 just in the sense that if the last six months have shown us anything, it's that we're not going to get anything else done in Parliament until Brexit's cleared up. That wasn't as clear back in June 2017, was it? It's possible, yeah. I mean, you might get, you know, the, the Tories' big bet, essentially, is that there are uh, enough people who wouldn't normally vote Tory who go, uh, essentially, sod it, I want, you know, quote, get Brexit done. Um, so I will, I will vote Tory. Um, and and it's a bet and there's there's mm. no guarantee that that's going to that's going to come off alex can you just fill us in a bit on the how you rate this claim just get brexit done we'll come on to what happens if there's a very tight majority and it's all a bit tricky but say boris johnson comes in forecast i saw yesterday said he'll have a majority of 144 the same as margaret thatcher in 1983 a really really big majority where essentially he can do whatever he wants does even that mean He's got Brexit done. Definitely not. Um, I mean, it means that he'll probably get the first part of Brexit done. <laughs> I think that if he comes home with a huge majority, um, the withdrawal agreement that he struck with Europe will get through the Commons far more easily. Um, mm. And very quickly. A, a lot more quickly than otherwise it might have done, yes. Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> you could argue that Actually, once he's got a big majority, he needs to be less worried about losing people during the scrutiny process. So actually, <laughs> if you see what I mean, part of the reason that he was trying to rush it through so quickly was because he had such a uh, okay. such okay. small number. Yeah. So actually, it's a little bit complicated. But I, I take the point. Um, 
yes, he can get the first part done and we could leave Europe. Um, but then, of course, the next part is arguably the harder part, which is negotiating future terms. And there's absolutely no reason why giving Boris a blank check from this election would help with any of that. And so this is the future trade agreement. I mean, we've got we have a what we have now is just a political declaration, some words, isn't it? Which he then has to go and negotiate for. Yes. Just just talk us through, like, when is the real deadline? Uh, so it's basically split into two stages, kind of the exit negotiations and the future relationship. And the exit stuff is what we're really all talking about now, about the Irish backstop and the replacement for it and so on. Um, and that relates to the withdrawal agreement that he struck with Europe and that he's now trying to basically get through the commons. So that's through. If he gets that through, then we turn to the future relationship, which is negotiating like trade terms uh, and security, basically are the, are the big ones. Um, that's going to take you, you know years and years and years. Famously, the Canada EU trade agreement took like seven years from conception to ratification. Um, so I don't think this is going to be wrapped up. You know, not. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be wrapped up immediately after the election. But I also don't think it's going to be wrapped up during this parliament basically isn't there something about we've got to decide by next summer whether we're extending beyond the end of 2020 that's exactly right so um basically if boris passes his agreement on the withdrawal terms then we go into a transition period and there's a question about the length of that transition period um it's quickly diminishing. <laughs> Philip Hammond called it a wasting asset because it's something that gets less valuable with time. Mm. <laughs> and he's exactly right. It's get, every day that passes is becoming less and less valuable. Um, the idea is that during that transition, we negotiate the future relationship, which is all, always incredibly optimistic. Yeah. Probably going to need to extend it. And even the extended version is probably optimistic. Um, but it, it's not just that we, it's optimistic to negotiate it in time for the end you have to signal months in advance if you do want to extend it. <laughs> it's July next year that you have to kind of put up your hand and say we're not going to be ready in time. Final word on this then, Steph. Is this a liability or a weakness for Boris Johnson in the campaign that these kind of points Alex is making on process are going to get known and people are going to find out that getting Brexit done doesn't mean getting Brexit done at all? I feel like in every stress test around Brexit positions, we've found that um, speaking with the strongest possible rhetoric has come out above having the most watertight plan. So um, <laughs> I'm going to regretfully say no. OK, thanks for that. Let's just press pause before we turn our minds to everything that isn't about Brexit. In election 2019. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. 
I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, so now on to the small print of the December vote. Every general election, Steve, it said is really 650 different local or by-elections, if you like, and maybe that's felt increasingly true over time as different parts of the country have got uh, gone in different directions. Anywhere in particular you'll be looking out for? Uh, I think the, the big thing for the Conservatives is that before they even think about which seats they want to try to gain, uh, there are some that even they accept they're probably going to lose. So, for example, they've got 13 seats in Scotland. Um, they are unlikely to hold uh, most of them, partly because of uh, losing Ruth Davidson, partly because of uh, Boris Johnson, who is a uh, pretty toxic uh, north of the border, or certainly appears to be, uh, and partly because of uh, of their hard Brexit stance, um, which Ruth Davidson was able to ameliorate in some ways in, in 2017. So they're going to lose some of them. They're also going to lose some uh, in the southwest to the Lib Dems. It looks like uh, that, that's the case anyway. Uh, in London and around the southeast, they're going to come under pressure um, from Labour, so long as Labour can hold on to its vote. Um, as Gabby Hinsliff wrote for us about 18 months ago, the number of uh, people moving out from London uh, towards the, the coast, uh, where that's in, in Kent or in Hampshire or elsewhere, uh, where there are now seats which are within striking distance for Labour. So you've got, first of all, all those seats where, you, where the Tories will think, we're going to struggle to hold on. And then they need to turn their attention to where they're going to win seats. And again, it can look pretty tricky because this then comes down to what we are talking about before, whether this is a Brexit election or not. You know, if you're, you know, where, where I'm from in Birmingham and you voted uh, to leave, as, as half the people in Birmingham did, but you've always voted Labour, do you vote Labour or do you vote Tory? You know, or, or something else in between. And, I th and they're basically making a bet that, that enough of those people will vote Tory. And it's, it's a it's a. I wonder, Steve, bet. if you're being just a bit down there on Boris Johnson's prospects. Because as well as the sort of small number of Remain seats that might just about go to the Liberal Democrats and perhaps a decent slug of Labour seats that might turn on Labour because they're sick of um, it, um, like, dithering on Brexit... Um, aren't there just lots of seats that might not be that dug in one way or the other on Brexit, where what we're actually going to see is the anti-conservative vote split down the middle, Cane Valley, where I'm from, being one, but also things that Labour won last time, Canterbury and, uh, and, and Kensington, famously. They're very Remain places, but they're maybe going to, like, turn to the Conservatives because of the opposition splinter. They might, and I think what you've hit upon there is something quite interesting, which is that, you could have a situation where the Tories lose some votes but actually gain more seats because mm -hmm. the, the big unspoken thing in what I was just saying before was there was an assumption there that Labour was going to hold on to its vote from 2017 and that's a very, very big assumption. And so It's a completely wild assumption given the opinion polls with Labour down about 15%. Indeed. So you can look at what happened in 2017 and think, well, the Tories are, you know, are only 3,000 votes behind but they're going to struggle to get those. But will Labour still 
you know have those votes and that's going to be the key thing for the, for them to work out and i i just think that you know that then becomes a slightly different battle um we've the tories have been talking a lot about what votes they're going to uh, they're going to try to win it might well be that their best chance is just trying to hold what they've got and hoping that the that the other parties' coalitions don't hold together quite so well. Alex, any any, any you're going to keep a special eye out for? Uh, well, Richmond Park, I think, is really interesting because that's been a weird, just quite a weird seat all round, really, because that was the one that uh, Zach Goldsmith mm-hmm. was, you know, MP there. And then I think he stood down over Heathrow, he resigned, and there was a by-election, and he contested it and lost to Sarah Olney, the Lib Dem. And then in the 2017 election, Zach Goldsmith won it back with a majority of 45. <laughs> so that's, people talk about like Amber Rudd being incredibly marginal. She's got, oh, uh, you know, she, she's leaving now, but that's the majority of 300 or something, isn't it, in Hastings? But it's 45. So that's going to be um, quite, f- quite a fun one, I think. Um, and uh, Steph, I mean, anywhere at all that you're, keeping an eye out for i know you keep an eye out on wales and northern ireland and maybe think we're being a bit parochial and only thinking about england uh i mean there is labor vulnerability in wales what you were saying earlier about these seats where labor's got to work quite hard to hold together its electoral coalition so places like wrexham and cardiff north it wouldn't be too surprising if the conservatives took them um i'm slightly more optimistic for the tories in the southwest than you are um i can imagine North Cornwall going Lib Dem, they've got a local son of a farmer. St Ives, which has got extreme poverty, but also quite a lot of wealth, might also go Lib Dem. Um, But I can't imagine someone like Toro and Falmouth getting rid of Sarah Newton at the moment. Do you you think there's any chance of um, Boris (laughs) losing his seat in Oxford? I'd be quite shocked if he did. I know we've had a bit of chatter around it. It wouldn't um, necessarily be one I'd be betting on. No, I mean, however, there would have been a chance if any of the independent Conservatives who lost the whip had decided to stand against him there. If, for example, Rory Stewart, rather than uh, standing to be Mayor of London, had decided to stand in Uxbridge, it's possible that he would have won you know, some votes from some Conservative voters who would have felt uncomfortable about voting uh, for the Labour candidate, who's... who's uh, uh, the biggest challenger, but might be willing to vote for him, which would pull some votes away. Um, I think Uxbridge is one that really makes this point, though, about a splintered opposition in that last time it was basically 50% for Boris Johnson, 40% for Labour, and then, you know, Lib Dems 4 and a few others on one or two each. And yet now, such as the pro-Remain mood of parts of that constituency, that the um, best for Britain... Um, tactical voting thing is apparently saying people's best chance of getting rid of Boris Johnson is to vote Liberal Democrat that they could go from four percent to winning deposit losing (laughs) and it sounds it sounds crazy to me but it does show the dilemma that um, that some of these seats put anti-conservative voters in and that adds another complicated moving part to Northern Ireland so we hearing that the SDLP are standing aside for a Remain coalition in a lot of Northern Irish seats Um, I think and Sinn Féin as well I just read this morning. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's going to be complicated. So Belfast North is um, one of the particularly interesting seats at the moment. It's a place that's got a growing Catholic or nationalist population. And um, previously they've elected Nigel Dodds, who's the deputy leader of the DUP. And that was essentially because there was a UUP-DUP pact to ensure that he didn't lose the seat. Um, 
two big high-profile politicians running there from Sinn Féin and the DUP. The UUP have only announced this morning they are once again going to stand aside for this pact. So um, there's a chance of Sinn Féin gaining. I think it was a lot more uncertain when the Ulster Unionists were saying they weren't going to stand aside, but still illustrates the um, complexity of mapping Remain and Leave onto party politics. We promised to talk about things other than Brexit, of course, as well. And Steve makes the point that lots of other things can creep up on you in an election. I mean, when we're not in election mode, Steve, you spend a lot of time worrying about foreign policy. That's not going to get a real look in now. No. Is it separate from Brexit? No, no, no one will so care what do you think we're... Uh, Until somebody does say <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn has dangerous views, front page. Surely. Yeah, that sort of thing. But that again is priced in. I think no one is going to sort of no one's gonna be like, I was gonna vote for that Jeremy Corbyn, but I hear he he once said something nice about Hamas. Um, so I'm not gonna vote for him now. I think you know, it they might have that might have been an argument in twenty seventeen, but I don't think it will be now. Um I think one of the fascinating things about it so far, um, in the in the opening days is um both main parties have actually the same big theme, which is the people versus the elite. Now they both think the elite is something different, but they're both framing it in that in that very um, dangerously populist way. The other thing that's quite interesting is a lot of the policies so far that have been announced are the same. So on Saturday you had Boris Johnson saying, "I'm going to have a moratorium on fracking," and Jeremy Corbyn came out and said, "Actually, we've we've promised that already, and we're going to go further and ban it." Um, you've had. Uh, in the last couple of days, you've had both major parties saying they're going to protect free TV licenses for over 75s. Um, both main parties are going to make a big play on how much they're going to spend on health. There's this sort of, despite the fact that we we say that we've never been more polarised and the parties have never been further apart, that one's you know become a hard right party, one's become a hard left party. A lot of the, uh, of the retail policies announced so far are remarkably similar. Do you think Boris Johnson's going to do the tax cuts for, you know, pretty well off higher earners that he was talking about when he was becoming, um, the, you know, the candidate to lead the Conservative Party? Do you think that's a bit in the dust as he's chasing, I think God so. help us, Wokington man? Yeah, I, th- I I think that probably has. I mean, it, to be honest, it, it aside from putting it in a, a Telegraph column, um, I don't think he even really talked about it much after that. Um, and it was mainly, I think it was just a thing to get him through that campaign i think it'd be i'd be surprised if the tories come into this election campaign with tax cuts for wealthy people i mean there seems to me from what we've seen so far to be only two things really rather other than brexit if we're saying it's not necessarily just the brexit election one is the economy and one is the nhs we've got stories today about mother care and bits of the high street closing down you can see that the economy maybe doesn't look quite as solid as it did a year or two ago but what do you think, Steph? NHS or economy of, of those two is going to be the bigger one? Um, I think going into a December election is really going to up the amount the NHS comes through as a key story because we're going to have the same sort of NHS story we've had for the past few years, which is a really difficult time for the health service. Um, I think those will be big. I think taxation is going to be massive because you can, even if you think Labour's tax policies are actually quite moderate, I think um, that's going to be something the Conservatives are going to run on again and again. And I actually disagree on the Jeremy Corbyn's foreign policy line. I think you may not swing a voter who was going to back Corbyn and um, changes their mind when you hear his name next to the word Hamas again. But I think in terms of getting the Tory vote out and energising around those more um, socially right-wing 
potentially potentially more patriotic um elements there's some work to be done there yeah no i think that's i think that's true i think yeah there'll, there'll be a bit of like yeah this guy wants to pull us out of nato uh type chat which yeah is is as you say it's aimed at tory voters not not people who might be persuaded to vote labor i mean the one thing alex that is different from five years ago and one reason that jeremy corbyn i think can if you quotes get away with running a very different sort of foreign policy is that people don't look over to Donald Trump who has already intervened in this election and think there's a nice stable secure alliance we can have across the Atlantic it does feel a bit more fluid yeah I mean you hear Labour politicians saying that um, if they had their way Trump would kind of intervene in British politics every day (laughs) and nothing (laughs) could be better recruiting (laughs) sergeant for the Labour Party. Um, And uh, yeah, I can see that point. I think it's actually quite a good line of kind of, uh, you know, again, whether it will convert people, I don't know, but certainly to, uh, you know, for Labour to rally around and get a message across uh, simply and clearly, vote Boris, get Trump is hard to outdo. Um, Steph, with the NHS, um, everyone says, oh, December, there's a lot of trouble. It's normally sort of just after Christmas that you see the real crunch and into January, isn't it? You know, those extra days, December the 12th and like whether it be December the 12th or December the 17th or January the 5th, that could make quite a big difference in terms of when the crunch comes. It could. And we know we've got quite a nasty flu season coming this year. So it's there's lots of different moving parts that could Mm. impact what becomes a key electoral issue when um i mean we don't know yet if perhaps pensions are going to be the big question um i think in 2017 nobody could have anticipated the um social care yeah social care becoming kind of one of the defining issues of the election also um it's always you have to really hope that this doesn't happen but a terror attack pre-election is always something um that could change the what the election becomes about completely and everyone could forget brexit and it could become almost like after the manchester attack when it became about conservative cuts to the police force and corbyn it it sort of changed the dynamic uh, in quite an unusual way and there's always um, the chance of something like that happening of course and then the other thing in terms of what sort of campaign it will be is the issue of the things that most of us won't see, which is what are the issues that people see in their Facebook feeds and uh, yeah. and WhatsApp messages, um, which could be things that are very specifically targeted by political parties, um, or it could just be things that, that individuals uh, spread that they think this is the the big issue. It might be, you know, there were memes on fox hunting last time, which really pushed the issue that mm. the Tories were willing to have a, a free vote on fox hunting. Um, you know, and you you speak to some people involved in both campaigns, and they 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 don't just have policies on you know the the big four or five issues, but they've got sixty or seventy micro issues which they're going to push at various times as well. And um, most of which won't get play uh, in the national media but we will see on our social media. Um, Should we all have a go then? Trying to (laughs) say how we think this most unpredictable of contests is going to come out. Steve, are you you feeling... I mean, it's it's got to be a majority for Boris Johnson, hasn't it? If he's anything short, he's fallen out with the DUP, he's not going to last. So he's got to get into a proper majority territory. Do you think he can do it? He can. Um... Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to make a prediction because I think it's uh, 
because there's not enough information on which to, to, to make it. I think one of the things that's fascinating about this is you could have a Tory majority. You could end up with Labour as uh, the largest party. You could end up with a hung parliament with actually no potential coalition whatsoever. All those things are possible. Um, and I think, you know, trying to look at polls now and working out how people are actually going to vote in, in five weeks' time is, uh, is foolish, so I'm not going to attempt. Any braver than Steve, Alex? Um, I don't want to give you a number, but I think that um, one outcome that I can definitely foresee um, is a Johnson majority that's so small that it quickly starts to splinter. Um, for example, they lose the hardliners, uh, or some of them at least, when they see, you know, the, try to bring the withdrawal agreement bill back through. And when it spells out in the stark black and white exactly what it means, Owen Patterson and John Redwood were already sounding quite negative about it in mm. the comments. You know, you lose them on one side. You, you know, um, we need to remember that the composition of the Tory party is about to change very significantly. And it's not just about the numbers. It's also about the type mm. of politician because these will be politicians who have signed up to Boris's manifesto and in some cases will owe their seat in the Commons to Boris. All that said, um, I think with a small majority and something as contentious as Brexit, we could actually see Boris get a majority and then quickly lose it. As plausible as anything else, Steph? I mean, my head says a slight Tory majority, which is a very similar thing, but I keep seeing the strength of Labour's ground game, and particularly of their mm. digital campaigning, which is really fantastic and which Momentum is already doing really, really well. And so there's a tiny bit of me that, you know, slightly niggling at me a little bit. That Labour could surprise people. Yeah, yeah, could surprise everyone, but I don't know. Let's see. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that, like, in terms of the economy and stuff, um, if Boris Johnson is now saying, like, let's just spend money, austerity's a dirty word kind of thing, it echoes of 1979 or something in the sense that, like, the Conservatives are now fighting, perhaps rather well, but they're fighting on someone else's ground fundamentally. We're just so many years into a Conservative government as well. And there was, I don't know, this is this is completely foolish. And I know as a political commentator, none of these things do mean anything. But watching clips of the Prime Minister getting booed out of hospitals and then seeing that Momentum WhatsApp group giving the story of the day and it inevitably going viral. And I went, there's something, there's some dynamic here that you, you shouldn't look away from mm. yeah and i think as steph points out we've had we've had 10 years of austerity mm. and it's not just that labor say austerity was bad the tories themselves are now essentially implying that by saying we realize we need twenty thousand more police officers it's um, about how many they and, cut but yeah twenty one thousand is is the number they they cut so for them to say it's desperately important that, that you vote for us so we can put twenty thousand police officers on the street they are as you say playing on labor's territory and it's quite quite an easy hit for labor to say well who got us into this mess in the first place um and if the issue is about spending money that traditionally helps labor have to say though boris johnson's personal charisma again you look back to London, which is not a city that would necessarily be behind his politics, and he was, you know, a twice-elected, quite well-liked mayor. So different Boris Johnson, though. Different Boris Johnson, maybe. 
I don't know. Still playing as a kind of cheeky insurgent Alex, but Steph said he's got nine years, I think it is, of conservative-led government anyway, that, like, if Labour's got his act together, he'll be having to defend... Exactly. Yeah, for me, that's one of the biggest questions of this election is how much Boris can seem like something different from the last nine years and not be tarred with the responsibility for it, despite being a leading, you know, Tory politician during the time which all of it um, happened. But can I just bring you back in on Brexit just before we round up? Because um, he's also got something specific to defend, hasn't he? This deal that was done very quickly and few of us have read all the way through. He's got to kind of defend that again if Labour gets its act together and Keir Starmer and co find the weakest points in it. He's got to defend something specific, not just a red, white and blue Brexit or whatever it was that Theresa May was talking about in 2017. Is that a vulnerability? I think it's definitely a vulnerability. Um, the, I mean, the thing is, is that the weakest point in the deal is... The fact that he's just sold out Northern Ireland. <laughs> he said he never would. Um, he said that no prime minister, you know, he's part of that cohort, no prime minister could ever sign up to anything like this. Um, his Conservative and Unionist Party, you know, whatever you think about um, the rest of the Brexit deal or whatever you think about the union even, um, clearly he's completely, <laughs> it's completely uh, hypocrisy. Um, but I, I'm not sure that has any any traction during this election campaign. No, I don't think in England. It, you know who it might actually damage is the DUP. You know, rather than the Tories, it will be, you know, because the DUP, you know, were there to try and, as they say, you know, secure the best possible deal for Northern Ireland. Um, and and they blew it. And so you can see, you know, the Ulster Unionists, where they actually do stand against them, using that as an attack line. Um but yeah, I think as you said, I think that the big problem on for the in terms of the Brexit deal and whether it's going to be talked about is that no one actually really wants to talk about it. It's in no one's interest other than the Brexit party's interest to actually bash them on it. Um, Tom, before you actually wrap up, I realise you're the only person in this room who hasn't given any sort of prediction. Fair enough. I mean, I I feel like the dynamics of the campaign will favour Labour, but I feel the arithmetic is going to favour the Conservatives. It's a split opposition vote and as I was alluding to earlier I think that um, the kind of seats that people aren't watching because they're not remarkable in Brexit terms um, might break for the Conservatives with a diminished Conservative vote there you go, you forced me onto the spot um, but I'm definitely going to leave it there before I'm forced to dance on the spot a bit more, uh, that's all for this week, thanks very much for listening and chatted our way through election 19 do leave us a rating or review if you've enjoyed it and do also take the time through the campaign to look at the prospect magazine website where we'll be adding daily pieces which take you behind all the numbers and headlines of this campaign rebecca lou is our producer i'm tom clark and thanks very much for listening goodbye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.